Coming up, the growing pains of an outdoor haunt. From the Haunted Attraction Network, I'm Philip, and this is the latest episode of Haunt Topic Radio. Haunt Topic Radio is one of our partner stations, and so we're airing their latest episode here as well. In this episode, Cynthia McDonald from Zombie Farms in Athens, Georgia, shares her experience from start to finish on how she started their outdoor trail and how you can start one too. Okay, and with that, I'm handing it over to Brian with Haunt Topic Radio. Welcome to Haunt Topic Radio, the podcast for haunters by haunters. Welcome back, haunters, to another episode of Haunt Topic Radio. In this episode, we get Cynthia McDonald on from Zombie Farms in Athens, Georgia. We talk about outdoor haunts, starting an outdoor haunt, growing an outdoor haunt, the pros and cons of outdoor trails, and much more. Now, this was one of our master classes for the Haunters Toolbox Haunt Masters. To hear this full Masterclass, go to hauntertoolbox.com and sign up to be a Haunt Master member. That will also get you every monthly mastermind and masterclass that we have for the next year. And you will also have access to all of our masterclasses on scare actor training, nonprofit haunting, marketing, building your haunt, designing your haunt. We have several classes on that as well. And that is under our Master or Haunt Master membership. You're listening to about 45 minutes of this meeting, which has really good information in this. So head on over there and sign up, and I will send you the video and the audio. And Trans World Halloween and Attraction Show is coming up. And me and Daryl will be there at Scare Badge Booth. Yes, that's what we do besides this. If you guys know anything about scare badges they are merit badges for haunters so they are badges and buttons that are iron on and the buttons are stick on and they are awarded to scare actors if you're a haunt owner they go to your crew and if you're a scare actor well you can buy them one or two or five or however however many you want for your hoodies and your jackets you can stick them on anything we will be at booth 1443. I know one time I think it was 1032, which we were last year, but the booth number for this year is 1443. So come by and say hi. Tell me or Daryl that you heard this podcast about getting a free gift, and we will get you a free gift if you stop by for being our loyal listener. So that's just in a couple weeks. So come on out. St. Louis Trans World Halloween Traction Show, HAAShow.com. All right, I did cut off the first part of this interview. I failed to push the record button for the first couple minutes. But this is Cynthia McDonald with Zombie Farms, zombiefarms.com. Head on over to hunterstoolbox.com if you want to hear the rest of this masterclass and get access to all of our other cool stuff. All right, let's roll into it with Cynthia McDonald from Zombie Farms on Outdoor Haunts. Um, just to give it a try and and see what we thought. And it went really well. Um, that was in 2012. Uh, we just realized that there was no way to, 
to do it professionally and long-term on somebody else's land. So we took a break in 2013 looking for a property. And in 2014, we found the property we're on now. Um, It's a 33-acre farm with the house on it. So we live on the property and that way we can work on it year round. Um, And in 2014, we reopened it. So we were only down a year um, and we've been on this particular property now, eight years. So the haunt's been active nine years and this is going into our 10th season. Excellent. And you guys are, um, what you open early September? How, how no, we, we typically to? only open Friday and Saturday nights in October. Um, we've tried opening early. We've tried other nights. Um, our area, we're really the only haunt until you get into Atlanta. And of course, then there's um, the big ones in Atlanta. Um, but we're an hour and a half, two hours from that. So if, if somebody is looking for, you know, a an old, you know, an old school outdoor haunt where, where all there is, but that also means they're not really trained in, in going to outdoor haunts. So we have, you know, we had an uphill battle to teach people about coming to outdoor haunts. Um, and we've grown our business over time. Um, but because of that, we don't have an audience that's willing to come super early in the season. Um, so if we opened up in early September, we'd have a hundred people show up the first night and that'd be it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> we have uh Jimmy from Maryland, uh Nick Smith, Ohio, Stephanie Cole, New York, Kyle, Washington, Jimmy. He's in an outdoor haunt, Jimmy Guy. Uh Nick will be second season as an outdoor trail, about three quarter, I'm assuming a mile, three quarter mile long, maybe. Um, so I know we talked about uh outdoor haunts a little bit about how I how I got started back with terror and moved inside. So I know there's pros and cons of both. You've never been indoors, right? No, we've always done an outdoor haunt. So what do you think, in your opinion, what's the pros of being an outdoor haunt? Um, well, some of them probably seem obvious. It's it's really easy for us to change the trail every year, the direction of it, the order of the scenes. We can we can drop a scene out and add a new scene in without having to, you know, if I was in an indoor haunt, I'd have to either completely revamp a room or I'd have to leave p- part of the square footage out. Uh, with an outdoor haunt, we can just change the trail. Um, and so we do that quite frequently. So we'll have scenes out in the woods that are there. They're just not lit up. They're not being used that season. Uh, we'll reroute the trail. Um, even the people that we bought the property from have come through several times. And she said she can't ever figure out where she's at when she's back there in the trail. And she grew up here. <laughs> <laughs> so we running them around in circles. And um, so I think that's definitely a pro. We have a lot more space to play with. So, um, you know, we can we can build big things and we can spread them out and um, things like that. So that's always fun. Um, I, you mentioned this earlier, Brian, but the woods themselves, I mean, you know, indoor haunts are always trying to build that outdoor feeling. Well, we we have it naturally. So um, I think those in and of themselves, the woods are creepy um they're already scared especially when you bring people from the city into the country mm-hmm. <laughs> some of our work is already done for us um so those are probably the three biggest pros i see of, of an outdoor haunt now on the yeah. flip side what are some of the disadvantages or the cons to having an outdoor haunt everything <laughs> <laughs> the weather <laughs> the weather is awful and it's not just the rain and humidity that might you know rot and 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 stuff might get moldy Uh, But we also have the wind. So we have falling branches that could crush like the structure you see in the back. I mean, all it would take is a tree falling and boom, it's gone. Um, 
the the wiring for the lighting all comes through the trees. And so um, if a branch falls, it can snap a wire. Um, it can completely knock over uh, any lightweight structures if we get good wind and, you know, hurricane season comes in and, and Georgia often gets hit with it. So the wind can be really, really hard. Um, because of our space, we also have a harder time using actors in multiple places. You know, a lot of times in an indoor haunt, you can you can set it up so actors can get multiple scares. Um, we can do that in some places, but not in very many for an outdoor haunt. Um, the the lighting is probably harder for us because we're competing with lighting bleeding from one scene to the another. Another, we don't have you know distinct walls between the scenes. Um, it's also um, harder to show the exact path that the customers might need to walk. Um, you know, in an indoor haunt, you can you can funnel them through. Uh, in an outdoor haunt, we have to show them the path because they can just wander off into the woods if they, you know, so choose. <laughs> so we have to make that path really obvious. Um, power sources can be difficult, you know, getting power to all the places you need it to go in an outdoor haunt. Um, and then security, I think, is another thing that makes it harder um, to get security to and from the places um, to get customers in and out um, easily uh, just because the space is so big. You guys feel feel free to ask any questions in the chat box as well. We will ask uh, Cynthia as we go along. Uh, and so what I know there was a question that we had at Facebook because I did a pre-question thing about lighting. What kind of lighting do you guys usually use out there? So most of what we do is uh, 12 volt LEDs because it doesn't use as much um, you know electricity. Um, for our power sources, we use uh, generators that are centrally located. So the haunt, I mean, I guess if, if in most simplistic terms, you can think of it as a big circle and we try to put the generators in the center. It doesn't always work out that way, but that's, that's how we try to run it, kind of like spokes on a wagon wheel. Um, the generators are all in one place except for a few, like out in parking, they have their own generators. Um, and if we have to have some place that's out by itself, we'll have a, a separate generator. But um, for the main haunt, all of our generators are together and... Um, I think one of the one of the smart things that Patrick did in setting that up is that every generator has an has an amp meter on it that tells him uh, when he cranks it up, how many amps that generator is supposed to be pulling for the scenes. So if the generator does not um, does not show it's pulling the right number of amps, he knows without anybody telling him if something is down um, and we know exactly where to go to check it. So um the lighting and, and all of the electricity, the fog machines, everything pulls from that central generator room and then goes out um, into the different scenes that way. And then we monitor it using those amp meters. So for those of the guests that are here tonight that don't know who Patrick is, tell us a little bit about him and his role within the haunt. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Patrick is my husband. He's the one that... that um, dragged me kicking and screaming into <laughs> into hot ownership. Um, he is the one that builds everything. So behind me, you see one of the structures in our woods. It's one of the few buildings we have, but he builds everything. We don't have a build team. He builds the entire haunt. He does all the um, setup for the, the lighting and the sound and the fog machines. Um, and he works on it year round. Um, he gave me a lot of information tonight to answer for some of the the build tips, like the amp meters on the on the fog machines. Um, but he doesn't really like doing camera stuff. So <laughs> um, I do know a lot of what he does, but most of what I do has to do with the actors and the marketing and the logistics and the coordinating of um, all of the stuff that goes into actor training and staffing and all that kind of stuff. 
and he does all of the the hard stuff, the manual labor, the creative side, all that. Well, it's good to see a, a couple that are a team in doing some of this stuff because sometimes we see couples that that haunt together, and other times one won't won't touch it. Patrick just <laughs> won't come on the camera, but at least he's doing you know he's doing all the other stuff. So it's good to see that there's a there's a team behind your haunt, and and uh, so go ahead, give him a big hug for all of us. Tonight, <laughs> Absolutely, <so>. thank you. <laughs> Now, one of the things that you were talking about is um, keeping the people on the trails. What techniques do you guys do to keep people going where you want them and keep them where they shouldn't keep them away from where they shouldn't be? So we've tried um, what I would call three different, very distinct uh, types of, of ways of keeping them on the trail over the years. And I'll tell you the three and what we've settled on. Um, but it might be different depending on where you are in the in the haunt business, um, you know, growth wise and things like that. So the first thing we did for the first four or five years is we used individually built. Um, they were about yay tall um, battery operated uh, footlights and we would pound them in the ground with PVC pipes. There was 250 of them. We would spread them out over the trail. They were really cool. They gave this great green glow. You just went, you know, from light to light. Um, they were not on the generators. And so they had to be individually turned on and off each night. But we had a runner who did that. Bless his heart. Um, the great thing was if the generators went down, we still had lighting to get people on and off the trail. So it was a great safety feature. But the maintenance of them and the turning them on and off each night became a nightmare. And as the trail grew, we just couldn't keep up. We just knew that wasn't the right choice. So the next thing we tried was a rope. Um, and we tried the rope in two formats. We did one where the rope was just literally on the ground and they they could follow the rope through the trail. Um the problem with that is people spent the whole time looking at the ground. So they didn't see stuff and <laughs> they were so worried about where the rope was at. So then we brought the rope up to mid height level, you know, to like hip level and they could follow the rope that way. Um, but it gave them almost a little bit too much confidence. Like we, we didn't, we took away their, some of their anxiety and, um, so it was harder to scare them with the rope, you know, right there. So the last two years, we have gotten rid of all of that. And we just make sure that it is very well lit from scene to scene. So if I'm in one scene, there's darkness or there's a light. And if you want to go off into the darkness, <laughs> you're not going to get anywhere. But if you go Some to the next light source... Anyways, <laughs> Um, and we have found that, you know, every now and then there's some people that, that still get turned around, but we have actors in, or, or at least, um, people's position and places to watch those. So for the last few years, we have stuck to the idea of literally just having a good light from the end of one scene to the beginning of the next scene so that people are getting from scene to scene by following the light sources. Um, it's less maintenance. They're more anxious because they have to they have to think a little bit more about how to get from one place to another. But um, we make it very obvious and we we tested each season by having our actors, um, especially our new actors that aren't familiar with the trail, go through the trail and make sure they can get through it <laughs> before before we throw customers into it. <laughs> now, do you um, do you have any non actors 
along the route to help direct people should they get lost? Um, we definitely have um, a few types of people on the trail besides actors. We have security. We're always going to have three or four security, uh, but they're not necessarily there to direct people, um, but they are positioned along the trail. So if they see somebody in the wrong place, obviously they'll, they'll handle mm -hmm. it. Um, we have runners. Um, runners are there to assist um, actors and the management team in any way they can. So sometimes they may be on the trail. Um, we also have um, a new position we started last season, which has been great. We call it the we call her or him the trail spy. This person walks the trail all night long, um, and I'll talk about that person later. But they because they tend to see the customers walking the trail all night, they start to notice if there's places the customers are having issues. Um, and then we also have. Um, if we know it's a place where it could be a problem, we have what we would just call a cue person who's still in character and still in costume, mm -hmm. but is there to make sure they just go the right way. Okay. I think Scarret badges are one of the smartest things I've seen in the industry in a really long time. Scarret badges are basically either pins or embroidered patches, uh, kind of like merit badges as they are you know somewhat named after from boy scouts and and girl scouts and brownies and where after you've accomplished something you can wear the brag tag of the embroidered patch some haunts put them on jackets some put them on t-shirts some put them on uh, with the pins i've seen them put them on lanyards but the neat thing about them is they are very specific in what they are rewarding and they're haunt based images that reflect what's being rewarded it's retention, it is bringing people back, and it's actually giving your haunters, your haunt performers, the ability to share that they are haunt performers. And, oh really, you're a, you're a scare actor, where do you do that? And then they will insert the name of your haunt right there, so it's also marketing. I've always been a big fan of Scarret Badges, I think they're great. So check them out, scarretbadges.com. No, it is, that is not a paid advertisement, that is just my recommendation, I think it's really cool. ScottSwinson.com Um, this is a question that's leading up to a question that Jimmy asked in the chat. Uh, do you have, you said you have a couple of security people on the trail. Um, do you also have a camera system on the trail or just you're just having the security and your runner and, and your spy uh, just kind of report back to a central location via talkie or something? Yeah, we, of course, we have walkie talkies all throughout the trail. We've always had those. Two years ago, um, we added cameras. Um, and so at first we only had four cameras and we had them in the places where we would expect bottlenecks to happen. So management could keep an eye on them. Um, but last year we added more. Um, they're really nice. Security can sit in, in one of the little shacks we have set up to the side of the trail that looks like a facade to the customers, but security can be inside of it. And we um, have monitors set up for them to watch these cameras. Um, they don't rely solely on them, but we have one security guy that does that. And then we have the other security guys that have zones that they, they manage. And so if the security guy watching the camera notices an issue, he can radio to whoever's in that zone and have them, you know, take a look at it. Okay. Now the question that uh, Jimmy has is, is being outside, do you use or suggest any security measures for when you're not open? in October or the rest of the week that you are not open. <laughs> uh, what do you kind of do to, to mitigate any problems throughout the year and throughout the season? So when we bought this property, one of the most important things that we found valuable is that the, the entire property is fenced. Um, we did not fence it, but it was already fenced because it was a cattle farm. And 
yes, people can climb over a fence, but a fence keeps 80% of the world honest. So most people that come to a fence won't crawl over it. Um, so that helps with just general, you know, making sure neighborhood kids aren't, you know, coming in and out, things like that. Uh, but we do have security cameras. Um, we don't keep all of them in operation all year, but we usually have six or eight strategic ones that are on motion sensors. And if it if a motion sensor gets set off, it'll send a text to me and Patrick with a picture of whatever it picked up. Um, and that way we can see if it's something we need to keep an eye on. We actually got notified last week that we had sheep down in actor camp. We got an image of sheep. Yes. <laughs> and a neighboring farm had lost a few sheep. <laughs> so um, the security camera picked them up and we went down there and found some sheep roaming around actor camp. It was very interesting. What's <laughs> actor camp? Is that where they all the actors hang out? Like Yeah, actor camp is, is centrally located pretty close to where the generator room is at. Um, and it's got two bays for doing makeup. It's got the costume room um, and then it's got lots of picnic tables. And it's just the place we our actors gather before and after. Um, I'm sure most haunts have those kind of places, but um, it's our actors are required to come to actor camp, check in with the actor manager. Um, and at the end of the night, when they're dismissed, they're required to come back to actor camp to check out with the actor manager before they go back to their car. Um, so actor camp is kind of our hub. They, they think of it as their home away from home. And we always have fun music playing and, you know, just try to make it a fun place. How many actors do you normally have on a season? So our staff is normally around 90 total. Um, pure actors is probably around 60 to 65 with everybody else being some sort of support person. And how do you find and keep actors and train them. It's very delicate, very delicate. It is. <laughs> so um, one of the first things I would say is even from year one, when we were not making any money and we were bleeding money horribly, we paid our actors, even if it was only minimum wage, we paid them. Um, that made it, that made them more loyal. It made the relationship more obvious. I could ask somebody to do something a lot easier because I'm paying them to do it. Um, it made it easier when we, moved onto the new property to call back those people who had been with us the first year. They came, most of them came back. Um, so we keep most of our actors, you know, they, they tend to, we keep a pretty high retention rate. Um, we do pay um, longer term actors or people doing harder tasks and things like that. Sometimes uh, more depends on the role that they're doing. Um, but everybody on staff is paid. Although we do put the caveat in that we require them to work all nights. We're open because we're only open Friday and Saturday nights. So we're not asking them to work difficult um, schedules or anything like that. Um, as far as uh, other ways of getting new people, I have found that Facebook ads um, and emails to customers who visit us in the past are a great way to get new people. And usually I don't try to market directly to the people themselves. I generally market to people that know them. So like one of my most successful ads actually said, um, do you know someone, I think, how did I put it? Do you know somebody who's at least six feet tall who would make a great chainsaw wielding maniac? <laughs> now, the men would never respond to that, but their wives sent them to me in droves. And I got four guys over six feet tall that season who I could switch in and out for running the chainsaws. Um, so I have found that if you're very specific on what you're looking for, you know, if you're looking for a tall Ichabod Crane character, or if you're looking for a small petite person who can uh, crawl under tables, if you're very specific and you word it fun, um, you get a lot more interest in the ad than if you just say, do you want to be a haunt actor? Or do you want to be a scare actor? 
Um, the more specific you can get, the more fun you can make it, the better chance you have of getting somebody who will respond to it or will respond for somebody else. For somebody else. Yeah. That's, that's fun. I hadn't even, uh, hadn't even mm-hmm. thought of that, that it's the, the wives or the husbands in some cases of, of your actors that, that do the responding. So, yeah, I mean, we all know. know that the majority of people on Facebook are women um, and it's women in their thirties, forties, fifties. So if you want to reach the guys, you got to do it through the women. Um, that's just the best way to, to reach the men of the audience if, if you're wanting them. We, now that I have your attention. <laughs> we get a lot of word of mouth too. That's where we get most of ours. I think a lot of people are scared by the word actor. They're like, yeah. What, what kind of, do I got to act? What kind of, you know? So like, I see a lot of ads. You just want to come out and scare people. Mm-hmm. Come on out. You like to scare your little brother on the house or your mom <laughs> or your dad or your kids. Come on out. So. Now, one of the things that you had touched on with your actors is that some of them are paid more because they're in roles that uh, demand either a little bit more work, it's a little tougher acting, or they're, they're sort of in a, in a leadership role. What kind of leadership roles do you have? And is that something that actors work their way up to? So, um, yeah, our leadership team, we have some very distinct people. We have our actor manager who... We are very blessed. He's actually been with us all 10 seasons. He's a great guy. Um, he's our cheerleader. He's he's the nice guy of the haunt that everybody goes to so that I don't have to deal with all their problems. Um, he's also our dispatcher for the night. So what I mean by that is he listens in to the different radio channels. And if anybody's having an issue, he's the first point of contact. So he doesn't he doesn't act or coach and he doesn't roam the trail but he really does support the actors from that central location of actor camp. So, you know, if he hears an issue is happening, he'll find the right person to send to handle the issue. Um, He helps with all the casting calls, all that. So he's our actor manager. We also have a main queue manager, and then we have a couple other queue managers because we have various queues in our haunt. Our main queue manager watches going into the storyteller area, which we have right before they go into the main startle haunt. Um, He's always making sure whatever the throughput is. So if he sees the line is getting more than 45 minutes to an hour long, he'll talk to the person letting them in the queue and they'll either increase the size or they'll decrease the seconds between the groups and things like that. So he's always trying to keep that queue management going on. Um, Then we have runners. We usually have two runners a season and those work directly under the actor manager and their role is is to support uh, the actors in whatever way is necessary. Sometimes it means taking over an actor spot if they have to go to the restroom or getting them new batteries if their walkie died, um, fixing a light if the light fell down. It could be anything. The runners are Sometimes it's just escorting customers off a trail that got too scared, those kind of things. Um, then we also have what we call zombineers, um, just because we're zombie farms. So instead of engineers, there are zombineers. Um, and they help Patrick all throughout the night with the more technical issues. If if a generator goes out or an entire scene goes down or something like that, they're they're on top of it. Um, sometimes their biggest weapon is their zip ties and they just make sure everything is zip tied nice and tight for the night. So we can also call them our zip tie engineers. Um, and then the last person can be one or two people. It depends on how you do it. We've, we've, we experimented with it both ways last year. So we have what we call our trail spy who can also be an actor coach. Um, so our trail spy is literally somebody dressed in just regular, they're not wearing zombie farms, anything. They don't look like staff. Um, they walk the trail the entire night, just literally walking it over and over and over. Um, 
they know and they have they have worked with Patrick very closely to know what every single actor is supposed to be doing and how the scenes are supposed to be run. So they can see how it's working as a customer. They'll kind of sneak in between groups and things like that. And if anything is not working the way it's supposed to, they can report back to me, Patrick, uh, the actor manager, any of those people. Um, we also can either use that person as an actor coach or we can have a separate actor coach. It depends on the personality. Uh, but the actor coach really helps tweak those issues. If if the if the trail spy sees that, you know, the person in the drop panel is their timing is off, they may not stop and deal with it, but they may call the actor coach to come and, and talk to the actor about getting their timing right and things like that. So those are the main people we have that are in what I would call leadership. Besides, I guess the only other spot would be our upfront manager, which handles all of the ticket sales and things like that. Um, so we have we have the upfront manager who's going to handle anything that has to do with the queue line up front or the tickets, and they coordinate with the parking lot people. Now, being away from an urban setting, do you also have... Um, uh, parking issues, somebody running the parking lot? So we've been very lucky. And this is a tip I would give to anybody, if at all possible. Um, before we opened, we got to know the neighborhood volunteer fire department within the first month we had moved in. Um, there were opportunities. Um, so we worked out a deal with them. Um, we, we make a nice charitable contribution to the fire department um, in November each year. And in, in exchange for that, they run our parking lot for us. Um, we usually have five or six of their guys on site every night running the parking. Uh, we have a huge sign um, at the front as you pull in telling people that the, the Beaverdam Fire Department is running our parking so that they get a little bit of publicity out of it. Um, and then we also have our own parking person that we hire on top of them that 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 helps up front at the very entrance just to make sure we don't have any people stopping and causing backups onto the road and things like that. But the volunteer fire department, not only have they been a blessing in terms of I don't have to staff the parking area, um, but they are also um, most of them, at least, are first responders or EMT certified. Mm -hmm. So if we have an emergency um, we can get their input. Um, and we've had a couple of times where, you know, we'd have somebody with an asthma attack or um, somebody that twisted an ankle and, you know, they would just take a look at it and see what they thought, that kind of thing. So having them on staff, or if you get a really drunk guy, even with multiple security and police officers on staff, sometimes you just need a show of force. And we've got a couple of big fire guys that nobody wants to fight with. So. <laughs> <laughs> Having them around has been great. So if you can get to know your local volunteer fire department and pitch that to them, um, you know, we uh, we pay the volunteer fire department. I don't even mind saying, um, let me think, what is it? It's roughly, I think, 500 a night or something like that. It's it's a sizable amount, but it's worth every penny. Mm -hmm. um, and, wow. you know, it, it lets them have um, a great a great fundraiser, but they're also involved in the community and they know so many people in the community that sometimes we get a head up, heads up if there's a troublemaker before we even see them be a troublemaker. They'll just call up front and say, hey, there's a guy coming up and I know who he is. You just need to know this. <laughs> so that's nice, too. Well, that's good to hear. Do you also have a, a concession and or souvenir boots? So we um, we sell T-shirts and we sell marshmallows and drinks and chips. Um, and then we we just this past year started selling some little blinky items. Um we don't really see that as a revenue source, just a fun part. You know, if it breaks even, I'm happy. Um, but it gives people 
a little bit more of that fun atmosphere and it's part of the overall experience. Um, but we don't have any big concessions. We don't do like hot dogs and hamburgers or anything like that. Do you let them wear their blinky things on the, on the trails? I absolutely do because <laughs> then they make a great target for my actors. <laughs> Matter of fact, we used to sell, um, when, we, when all we sold was, we used to sell just those little um, glow sticks and we would have red and white ones. And we would say red was for brave souls and white was for scaredy cats. And people in their minds thought that that meant we were going to go harder on one and less on the other. But I never even told the actors that we marketed them differently. <laughs> so one day, one of my actors saw the sign up front and he's like, are we supposed to be treating people different? I was like, no, that's just for marketing, you know, so <laughs> But the, Fortunately, the light... there's no customers watching this right now. <laughs> oh, I've admitted it to the customers too. I'm like, whatever, they're going to come at you no matter what. <laughs> but kind of brings up a story because we were going to do a kind of a light touching the first year we opened and we try to get insurance and our insurance company saw that on our website and said that we couldn't touch. Yeah. So our website had this extreme thing on it that we had to take off. Well, now even year seven, they still ask for extreme. And we say, yeah, I'll give it to them extreme. And we, nobody does changes anything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, Oh, that was extreme, man. That was hard. You know, I was like, yeah, yeah, it was. That was yeah. <laughs> we, got the special, we don't charge any, you know, it's not, it's just, Oh, we need to mess with them. They need to get extreme. Cause it's like, you know, somebody that's being a punk or something. And yeah. So, Do you know what causes haunted attractions to shut down before they even get started? The top three roadblocks are lack of funding, lack of leadership, lack of resources. As a member of the Haunters Toolbox, you get instant access to the tools you need to start and grow your own haunted attraction business. To get started, become a member at HauntersToolbox.com. Just no, reminded get, to all of we the give it to everybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just reminded all of the folks that are uh, in the chat room. Uh, feel free again to post any of your questions in there, and we'll get uh, we'll get them run past Cynthia. So, um, you had mentioned that you you know you have people kind of controlling the throughput. What kind of throughput do you have? How often do you let a group, and how big are your groups going through? So I know this gets a lot of. Uh arguments on uh, Facebook groups as to, you know, uh, how fast you let people in on a, on a fast night, we can, we can actually have our groups only space 30 seconds apart. Um, now because we're an outdoor haunt, um, once they're in the haunt, we can still do things to, you know, to spread the groups apart and things like that. But one thing we, what we found was that even if you keep a minute or two minutes between groups, people will catch up with each other. There's just that, that, you know, you get a slow group and a fast group and they're going to catch up. They're going to create conga lines. So when we do our actor training, we teach our actors from the very first moment that conga lines are not a bad thing and that there are still ways to entertain and have a good time with conga lines. And so we make sure that that doesn't become something that they're worried about when it happens um, and that they know how to handle if it does happen. Um, so we'll, we'll do anywhere from two minutes apart in the early season to 30 seconds apart uh, when the season hits its peak. And what kind of things are you teaching them to break up these conga lines? So I don't really teach them to break it up so much as just entertain them. Um, although there are places, we have lots of places in our haunt where there are doorways and things like that, where they can, um, 
they can open or close a door and make the customer either open or close it. So sometimes we'll have the doorways completely open and the customers walk through. But if we want to create a little spacing, we'll tell them to close the doors. And that way each group has to open and close the door. And you wouldn't think that would create too much spacing. And yet it does. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, they start to separate themselves back out because they had to open and close the door between their group and their, you know, the next group. So little, little tips and, and techniques like that work. How are your sets set up for your actors? They're probably different, but are there like half walls or you have two walls or they're, um, is it all open and just big props and stage? So, um, so we try to make every set very, very different. So you can see behind me, there's a building. We have some buildings, the customers walk through. We have quite a few tunnels, like big, eight foot tall tunnels with ceilings and everything that they walk through. Um, we have areas that feel like, you know, a junkyard. We have areas that are um, chain link fix fencing. We had one area this past season that was a test um, and the customers absolutely loved it. We completely enclosed about a half acre area in deer fencing and um, created multiple trails through the woods area. They could go different directions. They could get lost in it. They There was only one exit though. So they had to find their way out. And so it wasn't maze in the typical sense. It really was feeling like you were in an overgrown, we called it the park. It was like an overgrown, um, a park that had become overgrown and was no longer maintained. Um, the men specifically really liked it because they felt like they weren't being told where to go. They could go wherever they wanted. And we gave them little handheld flashlights that they walked through with it. Um, so what Patrick does when he puts the scenes together is he tries to make sure that every scene between scenes feels very different. So if they're inside and if they're going through a building in one scene, the next scene, he wants it to feel like the open forest. And then maybe the next scene is completely fog covered. Um, and then the next scene may be pitch black and they have to walk through a black area and find their way out. So in scenery. Cynthia, your mic. Yeah, your mic is sort of cutting out there. Oh, did it? Here. Might be the cord or something. I'm not sure. Here we go. Is that, can you hear me okay? Yep. Okay. I'll just leave the mic off then. <laughs> okay. Um, so yeah, he, he tries to make every scene very different and feel different. So we have to um, we have to teach the actors in the scenes how to get the scares because every scene could be very different. You know, a, a, getting a scare in a tunnel is very different than getting a scare in a more open space. Um, so we have to we have to work with them individually that way. Nick Smith brings up um, about sound. How do you uh, dis- distribute it across the trail? Probably keep the bleed out and stuff too. So um, one thing you 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 would think is that the the bleeding of sound from scene to scene would be a problem, and yet I have found and we have found over the years that it's not people become hyper focused on where they're at and what's happening right in front of them. Um, So we do we do multiple um, uh, amps throughout the haunt and they're all uh, on individual MP3s. Um, They're all wired so that when the uh, generator comes on in that scene, they just come on. So the sounds now some of them are motion censored. Some of them are just on all the time. Uh, but they're individual units. And so Patrick puts the MP3s uh, in in each one so that he can have some of its music, some of its sound. I mean, we have tons of sound. It's something he saturates the haunt with is sound. Um, so it, it definitely gives that experience to the customers as they're going through a scene. And they don't notice the scene, the sound in other scenes. It's it's all what's happening right here in front of them. And weatherproofing is probably uh, pretty tricky. I know we had to put stuff in toolboxes and big totes and you know, put silicone and caulk it all in. So it was all weatherproof and stuff. So, yeah, I, if, if we had time, I could do a whole tutorial on how he weatherproofs those, those things, but I'm going to tell you really quickly, 
if you get the Tupperware containers, just the cheap ones, the reusable ones, and you cut a hole in the top and cut a hole in the bottom, and you put the the amp and the sound system inside, um, that is going to be 95% weatherproof. He closes them up and then he latches them to a tree or to a pole or something like that. And that's how most of our amps are kept uh, waterproof. Yeah, that was always, and Missouri, you could have snow, rain. It mm-hmm. don't matter. So, you know, no, no, Georgia, you don't get much, you don't get too much snow, but rain might be an rain, issue. We get lots of, and humidity, even if it doesn't rain, the humidity gets in everything, everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's right. a little hard in electronics too. It is very much. <laughs> yes. so, yeah. Now starting thinking about your, the, how you guys planned so far, you know, you've, you say this is your 10th year. So your first year is completely different than your 10th year. So what kind of things have you done? as you've grown that you've, you know, you've put priorities on, you know, you started planning on the first year. You never know what happens your first year. It's, you know, if you guys are out there just getting started, don't, you know, whatever you expect, just scratch that. Just, <laughs> you know, it's uh, you always spend too much time or double the money and double the time on, yeah, yeah. on anything. So what kind of stuff have you done um, in the 10 years that you've been doing this and what do you guys plan ahead, you know, for, in the future. So he and I are both planners. We're both, um, uh, we're both strong planners. Um, we're also entrepreneurs. We run our own businesses separately from this. Um, he's a software developer. I've been a web designer for years. So that gave us some flexibility to work from home and be able to work on the hunt, um, and have other sources of revenue besides the hunt, obviously. Um, but we knew from day one, we were we were projecting out the, to the 10th year. Now, what we're going to do after year 10, I have no idea because we've only planned to year 10. But <laughs> but we knew from year one what we wanted to be happening in year 10. And so when we bought this property, we made sure that we had enough acreage to, to, to park 250 cars, up to 300 cars if needed. Um, we were planning all of our queue systems, even though our first night only got 90 people you know, we were planning queue systems that could handle a thousand people or 1500 people. So we wanted to be able to have those systems in place. And I know some of our early uh, managers and actors were like, why are we setting all this up? We've only got 150 people here tonight. But in our minds, we were always thinking ahead to when we had hundreds of people coming in and how we would be prepared when that happened. Um, So everything from the size of our parking lot to how we do our queuing, uh, to how we manage our actors, our casting calls, um, the systems that we have in place to handle our actors, our costuming, um, our makeup, our masks, all of that. Even even back when we only had 40 people on staff, we were trying to get all of that in place. So I think planning ahead and knowing where you want to be in five or 10 years and and going ahead and putting those things in place that may feel unnecessary now, but if you go ahead and do them, you'll be ready when the time comes or if you get a big spike night you weren't expecting, it's not a panic because you're already prepared. Now, do you plan individual scenes out, you know, for planning for change like that, the scene behind you with all of the buildings, you know, did you have two buildings and you plan two years down the road to add a third or fourth or fifth? Well, the scenes themselves are more are more in the moment um, because it really depends on what the storyline is for the year. And that doesn't always come until one season is over and the next season has begun. Um, So, you know, and it also depends honestly on whatever materials we can get our hands on. So, Mm -hmm. um, so no, I don't think the scenes are so much planned. It's just the way we manage 
the throughput of the entire haunt that is planned um, so that we can make sure we don't end up with bottlenecks and things like that. Okay. Well, speaking yeah. of building materials, I know uh, lumber has been kind of crazy the last couple of years. Did you do any building those times or did you focus on something else? Um, no, we, we, we did building, we sucked it up and paid the price. Um, yeah. <laughs> we get a lot of reclaimed wood though. And, and we use like many outdoor haunts. We have a lot of pallets. Um, we get really big pallets from a couple of suppliers that, that just give them to us. So that's been really helpful. Um, but we still have to fill in the gaps with two by fours and, you know, you have to have posts and things like that. So, you know, it's one of those things about running a business. If you're, if you're running it with no plan for a change in pricing, um, or a change in your, your cost, um, it can, it can be an issue because you, it can be feast or famine. And, um, you know, our goal is to get this business to the point that if we had a year where we didn't make a profit again, it would be okay. Um, because we've planned ahead for that. Um, it took us about five years to get to a profitable level. Um, and I mean, you still look back behind you and think of all those years you didn't make a profit. So, you know, you have to make that up too. Uh, but yeah, I think you, you have to be realistic and honest with yourself that today's prices are not set in stone. And, um, that also means that your ticket prices aren't set in stone. I mean, you know, that can be adjusted too. So don't be afraid to go up on ticket prices <laughs> if everybody else is too. So <laughs> well, I was reading some of your, um, well, if I can pull them up here, some of your Google reviews. Uh, the first one was, this was great. Me and my grandson had an awesome time. They get better and better every year. I love the dark rope trail. This was three months ago. Mm. Me and the me and the group of people in the trail with us were lost for what felt like thirty minutes, scurrying around in the dark. So much fog, so many screams in the background. It was great. The props were are so plentiful all throughout the entire trail, and the actors were excellent. The cover could easily be ten dollars more. So you're already giving them a show that they're expecting, you know. So you're already over delivering, which is that's a good thing. Yeah, that's I good. like those kind of reviews. <laughs> they're <Yeah>. nice. <laughs> Yeah, sometimes, we they added, don't have, sometimes they're not always pleasant. But. So we added um, we added an element last year called the dark rope maze. And that's what she's referencing. And, and this has to do with our queue line management. So, you know, this, the entrance to the startle queue can, if you've got a busy night for most people, it can run anywhere from 45 minutes to two hours. We try to keep ours under an hour, um, even on really, really peak nights. Uh, and that's why we will increase the the number of people going in. But one thing we wanted to do was to make the queue line more fun and not just have queue line actors. We wanted to do something different. So we had four or five acres that was not being used and it was young, young um, pine trees. So Patrick created a dark rope maze. So there's no lighting. There is a rope that runs mid height, kind of hip level um, through T posts. And there's there's wrong turns, there's dead ends, there's all kinds of twists and turns, and they can, they can spend 30 minutes in it. If you know the tricks, you can get through it in about eight or 10. Um, but what they don't realize is they're actually in the queue line for the haunt. Um, so, <laughs> so it gives them something to do before they actually hit the main entrance. And so by the time they get to the main entrance, they've already been entertained. They've gotten a little bit of their adrenaline up. They're kind of ready for a little bit of a rest. And so then when they get a 30 or 45 minute entrance into the next part of the haunt, which is the real part, the scare haunt, um, they're okay with it because they got a little bit of entertainment beforehand. So the dark rope maze was a new addition and our customers have loved it. So they go through the dark rope maze and then they 
sit and listen to a storyteller for about six or seven minutes who tells them the story of the haunt and then they enter the startle queue and so that's the layout of our haunt so you kind of uh mentioned that you know the, the themes and and the story of the haunt does the the haunt have an overall theme and each of the individual scenes play into that somehow yes um so patrick is he's a storyteller he loves he loves to weave a good story um so every every year our theme has been completely different now you know, we may use the same scene, but he'll redecorate it or whatever. Um, the customers probably don't, I, I, even though we put video, we actually use video all throughout our haunt. So there'll be anywhere from five to 10 videos, short little clips that they'll see in different spots, spots of the haunt to tell them what's happening or to give them some sort of feedback or something. Um, most people don't look at that. They're too busy running or screaming or just being scared. But for those people who really enjoy a story, the videos and the theme are fun because they hear it from the storyteller before they go in, and then they'll see little video clips along the way that give them some sort of feeling that they're part of the story. Um, so they're very different every year um, if, if they want to. And, and you could actually follow all nine years up to the 10th year. It's a somewhat cohesive story. <laughs> well, there's, there's times, but that just that just kind of sets up their expectations and and then allows your actors to bring those expectations to life, doesn't it? Yes, very much so. Mm -hmm. Good, good. I just want to pause for a moment and thank Philip from the Haunted Attraction Network. If you guys listen to this podcast, you'll love everything that Philip is doing over at the Haunted Attraction Network. That's hauntedattractionnetwork.com. There's weekly podcasts. Philip also does the Seasonal Entertainment Source magazine that is free to subscribe to. Yes, it is a real magazine to your mailbox. Him and Scott Swinson also do Green Tagged. If you're subscribed to the Haunted Attraction Network feed, then you will get it in your podcast player. So go on, check out everything the Haunted Attraction Network has to offer. And make sure to sign up for their email newsletter at hauntedattractionnetwork.com slash newsletter. Do you yeah, get the story's fun. do you get the actors involved in the in the story? How does the training all start? And so um we we usually do a preview of the of the video theme for our actors during our Christmas party the year before. So that allows our actors to feel like they get they get a glimpse into something that the customers don't even know yet. So we always have a Christmas party for our, our actors and we'll usually have 75 to 80% of them come to it. Um, so we'll, we'll show the new promo for the coming year at the Christmas party. And then during the year, I'll give them behind the scenes, little pictures of what Patrick's doing. Um, we'll have some of the music we're going to use for the haunt. We'll let them listen to. And then on our first rehearsal night, they'll hear Dave, our storyteller, he'll actually sit down and he'll tell the story to the actors first. So it lets Dave practice the story as well as letting the actors hear what every customer is going to hear before they hit the woods. Um, so it, it lets them feel like they understand the story better and understand what, what the customers have heard before they hit the, the actual scenes they're coming into. And then do the actors get to develop their characters themselves or you guys are, are really have a set type of character, specific character that you want them to be in specific spots we tend to cast ours like a play so most of the time the actors are already given their their um their role their character um that's something we haven't talked about yet but even the costuming 
every actor has their own costume uh, container um, so that uh, they have whatever mask and equipment and all that kind of stuff. They, they check in and out every night. Um, so the costuming um, and the, and the mask or the role or whatever is all given to them. Now, a lot of times they, they take that and run with it, but they don't, they don't say lines unless we give it to them. So it, we'll, we'll give them lines if we want them to say it. And we tell them, if you don't get a line, you're not supposed to say something because, you know, they'll say things that are, you, know, you don't want In them a, to say. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, only a few people get lines. Um, but no, we, we pretty much do cast it like a play. We don't let them develop too much. If somebody comes to a casting call in costume and they're like, oh, I want to play Freddie. I'm like, well not how it works here <laughs> we'll, we'll give you a role and we'll tell you what what you're going to be doing you know once we see what you're best at mm -hmm. <laughs> well how early do you guys start training actors and how many training sessions do you have or well um we usually have our returning actors come back to us in late july early august and then we do our 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 casting calls during august for new people we usually have two or three um, even though they're called casting calls, I use those for training. So we're, we spend the whole time training them, teaching them how to be a scare actor. We take them down into the woods uh, because so many people have no idea if they can even handle that environment. So we take them down in the woods when it gets dark, we turn on the lights, we put them in a scene, we let them test the waters during casting call. Um, and it also lets us see what they're good at or what they may need to work on. Um, so the only other training we have is we'll have a, um, one night where they come and they we show them where their scene is, where they're going to be at, where their scare is at, but they don't do anything that night. They're just seeing it all and getting to walk around the scene. And then we have a dress rehearsal night for everybody. And they come, they test their costumes, they do the check-in, check-out process. They actually go into their scene. They practice for the management team. Um, and that's really all we have. So we don't have an extensive training. We just have the casting call and then the run-through and then dress rehearsal. Now, you say they're checking in and checking out their costumes. How do you handle costumes? Do you have a, a costume master? And, and how do the actors interact with them? So um, one thing Patrick would would tell people out there is when it comes to the costumes, you want to make sure you're, if at all possible, you're using very durable ones. We use lots of durable coveralls, overalls, because um, the actors are just going to wear them out. Um, <clears throat> you know, there may be some things that, that actors can wear on their own, um, but we usually provide whatever the overcoat is, whether it's a trench coat or a, a blazer or a cloak. Um, or coveralls of some sort, and then a mask. So at dress rehearsal night is the first time they all get their containers, and their container is going to have whatever costume equipment we're going to give them, as well as whatever mask or props or whatever. It's almost like Christmas for the actors. They get so excited because it's the first time they get to open their container and see everything. Um, there is no particular person that manages the costumes except for me and Patrick. I mean, you know, any of the management staff can try to help them if something doesn't fit right. We have a few extra sizes. Um, at the end of the night, they put all of their costumes back in their container. And we actually have a full-size school bus parked in the woods. And all the containers are stored on this school bus um, next to actor camp, which funny enough is also something that the customers walk through. So at the beginning of the night, the actors come get all of their costumes off of the bus, take it to actor camp. And now this has become a throughput that the customers will walk through. And then after all the customers are gone, the actors then take all their containers and take them back to the school bus and put them back on. Um, for any, any that are sweaty or wet or nasty, 
we have them lay them across one of the seats and we have an industrial size carpet fan that blows to, to blow them off okay. because the humidity is horrible. Um, if any need to be washed, we generally handle that. Although some actors will ask, can they take them home? And it just depends on if I trust the actor or not to, to bring it back. <laughs> um, but that's generally how we handle the costumes. And then at the end of the at the end of the season, we start double checking to make sure things are not missing or, um, you know, that they have everything in there. And then the last night we do a final checkout to make sure everything that was originally in the bucket is still in the bucket um, and that something didn't get lost or broken or anything. Good to know. Good to know. Now, all of this takes a lot of work and you've done this for years and, and made plans and made changes to those plans. Can you give us a few of the tips that maybe other people that are only in year one or two of their haunt, their outdoor haunt, that they can yeah. maybe use. Oh, that's where we stop to hear the rest of this interview and to get the video and to get all of our other cool masterminds and master classes and monthly meetings. Go on over to hunterstoolbox.com and sign up to be a haunt master member. All right. We'll see you next time. Oh, we want to thank our more. guest Cynthia McDonald this evening from uh, from Zombie Farms. We want to thank everybody that's in our chat room. Looks like we got uh, you know all together thirteen people, including us here tonight. So that's uh, that's good. I hope that all of you that were listening to this uh, have picked some up. We've got some wonderful tips from Cynthia, um, and thanks for everybody for for uh, joining us tonight. This is uh, this has been good and. There's some things like some mile markers that I found pretty damn interesting. Well, if anyone has any questions about um, any of this stuff equipment wise or anything like that, that we use that would be more detailed, um, they're welcome to find me on Facebook um, or they can email directly to RIP, like rest in peace, RIP at zombiefarms.com. And um, if it's something that Patrick can answer or is more detailed, he, he would be happy to answer those kind of things. So um, he'll tell us anything, a story. He just won't get on video. Huh? That's right. So if there's anything <laughs> that's more technical that we've talked about that you'd like to know more, just email us. It's RIP at zombiefarms.com. Or like I said, you can find me on Facebook too. Well, let's have him in the background talking next time. You don't have to be on video. It's just <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and yes, we'll be at Trans World booth 1443. Scare badges. I know uh, Brian, I think, brought that up. So, uh, Cynthia, are you going to any trade shows this year? No, we weren't planning on it. I don't. I, I think I'm an oddball out. I don't usually do trade shows, but I enjoy seeing all the videos and photos that everybody else posts when they go. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's bound to be a few of those from the the. <laughs> you know the different trade shows both trans world and midwest and West yeah there's Coast. always a lot of good material and and inspirational stuff that comes out of them so i just wait until everybody starts posting about it <laughs> yep well we will be working so it's not it's like yeah when you're, when you're vending it's still fun but you're, you don't get you don't get time to go browse and stuff yeah well ho hopefully brian and, and i'll get get to take a 20 minute break and at least go up and down the aisle so 20 minutes i'm thinking about two hours i'll say see ya hey there i'll be back <laughs> damn <laughs> now i understand looking forward to this well thanks everybody for showing up and uh cynthia i appreciate it i enjoyed the talk excellent it was fun thanks everyone y'all have, have a good, good night, evening everyone. this podcast episode sponsored by scarret badges get your scarret badges at scarebadges.com also sponsored by haunters Toolbox. Take your haunt to the next level at hauntertoolbox.com. Thank you for listening to Haunt 
Topic Radio. Please leave a comment wherever you found this podcast. Each comment you leave will help spread the word to other haunters around the world. See you next next time. time. This is a haunted attraction network.